as Ryan alluded to, we, we've been in a study of the life of Joseph. We're going to continue that. If, you're gonna, if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Genesis chapter 39, we're going to be uh, finishing. I touched my mic. Sorry about that. Finishing uh, that chapter tonight. Uh, we've, been, we've been going through watching Joseph's life go from mountaintop to valley to mountaintop and, and just, you know, things look great. You know, your dad's favorite son, uh, that means your brothers hate you, right? That means they throw you into a pit. That means they sell you to slavery. I mean, what a, what a terrible turn of events that, that Joseph had. And then things looked a little bit better, and, and we're going to see tonight that, you know, just when things are looking up, they, they just take another dive. And so uh, we're going to see that again. And uh, if, if you look on your sheet, we're going to see very early on, and, and, and if you guys have looked at the title of the message, we're going to see that, that life is not fair. Right? Anybody disagree with me? I think you know, life is perfectly weighed and evenly distributed, and everything's just, everybody gets the same share of bad days. And No, it doesn't happen that way, does it? No. It's, just, it's just not fair. And, and honestly, I feel like as a parent, it's my job to get my kids to recognize that fact as early as possible. Hey, Weston, I know you're saying and crying and screaming, that's not fair. You're darn right it's not. Get over it. <laughs> Just get over it. Because tomorrow's not going to be fair either. Right? And, and obviously, as a parent, I want to try to be as fair as possible, but, but that's not reality. Right? We, we try to, if I, if I treated all three of my children exactly the same, all three of them are going to feel like life's not fair from me because I just don't love them the way they need to receive it. They don't hear things the same way. They don't react the same way. Elaine is very much a rule follower. Lila is, is just looking for fun. Right now, right here, fun. Okay, so bring on the fun. Rules, forget rules. I want, you know, and so, so if I approach them both exactly the same, I'm going to mess them both up, Right? Life's not fair. It can't be fair. It can't be dealt with the same way every day. And so we're going to see some of that. Uh, just We've already seen it. We've seen it in the circumstances of Joseph's life. Joseph hasn't done anything wrong in any of the stories that we've seen. But all kinds of wrong keeps happening to him. Now, that doesn't mean Joseph was sinless. That doesn't mean you know, there was anything you know, that he they never did wrong or, wrong or whatever. But, but we're, we're not told about it. Okay, so the details of what's happening to him is not a direct result of misbehavior or sin or anything like that. He's, he's living a righteous life, and bad stuff happens. Well, welcome to earth. <laughs> welcome to life. This is how it goes, right? And so on your sheet, I, I've got the statement, life is not fair. Underneath of that, uh, I put, if, if we're not careful, careful's your blank, if we're not careful, we will learn the wrong lessons from life. Right? If, if we're not careful, we're going to learn the wrong lessons from life. Because what life wants to reiterate to you in that life's not fair is that it's supposed to be. And when it's not fair, it's got to be God's fault. Or it's got to be that there is no God. And, or, or if there is a God, then, then he certainly doesn't care about you. Or else it would be fair. That's what life wants to reiterate to you. That's what this world wants you to believe. This world wants you to learn the lessons that life is going to abuse you because God doesn't love you. 
or because God doesn't even exist, right? And if we let this world, if we let circumstances teach us those lessons, man, we miss the lessons that God has for us within the struggle because there's absolutely lessons in the struggle, and we're going to see some of that tonight. So um, as we get into things, uh, we'll, we'll start in uh, verse 11 here in a minute. This world wants you to believe there's no God. This world wants you to believe that if he's actually out there, he doesn't really care that much, or you can't be in contact with him. So, you know, we, we see Joseph, when things start to go well, the bottom drops out. When things are looking up, the next trial comes along. Right, and this is, this is Joseph's cycle. Ephesians 2.2 2 is on the screen. It says, wherein time past, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. There's a course set on this world. There, there's, there's a course set that we start out on without Christ, and this world wants to keep us on that course away from God, not believing his truth, not understanding who Christ is, not knowing what he's done for us. This world wants to keep you on that course. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 is an awesome passage where it says, hey, you know, these are times past. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're not that guy anymore. Amen. You're not on that course anymore. Or you have no business on that course anymore. Right? Because God has removed you from that and he's freed you from your sins and he has a different course for you. All right? And so this world wants you to forget what course you're supposed to be on. This, this cor- the course of this world is working at a feverish pace against the truth of the word of God. Right? God has a course set for you. This world wants you off of that one. All right? Which one we end up on depends on what you do with what God says is true. Your response to what God says is true will determine which course you end up on. Right? Your faith in what God says or lack thereof will end you up on a course. So let's read in this passage. Genesis 39, we'll begin in verse 11. It says, and just a little history here. You know, we, we just saw Joseph, um, you know, rise to power under Potiphar. He's, he's a slave, but he's the top slave, if there is such a thing. He, he had the role of all kinds of responsibility. And Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph, we saw a couple of weeks ago. And we saw how she came on to him and, and he resisted. And we saw how to deal with temptation. We saw how to, to come out of it righteously. We saw how to, to react to it the right way. And in verse 11, it says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went under the house, in, went into the house to do his business. So whatever Joseph's business was, was Joseph's business. It was nobody else's business. He was doing his thing, right, minding his own. And there was none of the men of the house therein, there within. And she caught him by his garment, this is Potiphar's wife, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when, he saw, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lift up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his, 
until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to, to mock me, and it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, or into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. In verse 21 through 23 is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this story of Joseph and, and all the details. There's so much to it. We can't even begin to, to cover everything tonight, and I just pray that you would reveal the things that we need, help us to see this is, this is a simple message tonight. Uh, it's not complex. It's, it's very very much something that we could overlook and, and feel like we've already got it uh, if we're not careful. And so I just pray that you would help us to, uh, to put our days aside, to put the busyness, uh, the craziness of, of our schedules aside, to, to really open our ears and open our hearts to what you have to say and, and to really be able to apply these things. Because if we can do this, the ups and the downs and the life not being fair is just going to be part of it and, and we're going to be okay because we're going to be able to look to you, just like Joseph did, and uh, just pray that that's, that's what we come away with tonight, and uh, an ability to trust in you through the worst, and uh, the ability to praise you in the best. Uh, we love you, we thank you for your word, and, and just pray for your guidance, in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so if you look at this, this crazy story, Joseph rises to power, Potiphar's wife comes on to him, he, he resists, remember what he did, he, he, he fled, he got him out, he she even quoted that he, she, and he got him out, right? He's gone. So it's interesting. She tells these stories, and she says, you know, different things, and then she says, and it came to pass, and after each time she says, and it came to pass, she tells a half-truth, right? The enemy is, is, he's all about telling part of the truth. He's all about twisting it just enough so that it's off, so they can get you in trouble, right? And so the enemy, Satan, he's been doing that since the very beginning, right? He's, he's been doing that since Adam and Eve. He said, yea, hath God said, as if, you know, are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's what God meant by what he said? Right, he, he wants us to, to question God's word. And, but what we see here is, is the enemy hates all of us, right? The enemy wants what the enemy wants, and, and that's God's glory and God's attention. And Joseph didn't do anything wrong. And one of the things I think is important to notice here is that you can do everything right and the enemy is still going to hate you. And the enemy is still going to tell lies about you. The enemy is still going to try to ensnare you. It's going to happen, right? Because we're on God's side. We're, we're on God's family. And uh, you know the, the enemy hates us for that reason. And so it's not fair what happened to Joseph. Joseph did everything correct. You know, if, if we could help Joseph out, we would say, hey, man, you shouldn't have let go of that garment on your way out, right? If it weren't for that, 
She couldn't even tell that lie. She could, she could have told the lie. It's interesting to me. I've read this a few times, and uh, it says in uh, verse 19, it came to pass, and his, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. All right, so there's a, there's a guy who's got incredible power, Potiphar, and his main servant tries to sleep with his wife if he believes the story. And his wrath is kindled. What do you think, what, what would you expect that his reaction would be? I, I mean, the dude, would, he'd be a dead man. And nobody in Egypt would ask one question, right? He, he should be dead. For some reason, Potiphar says, off to prison with you. I think it's interesting. This is just, this just has nothing to do with anything tonight. I just think it's interesting as I'm reading this. The first thing that Potiphar's wife says is that it's he hath brought an, an Hebrew to mock us. She's working the system against her own husband. The evil doesn't care who's getting run over. Everybody's getting run over here. I think Potiphar's wife kindled Potiphar's anger just as much as the rumor or the story of what Joseph did because she's trying to leverage control over him. There's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on, not related to what we're getting into tonight, but, but it's interesting as you read through there how the enemy works. He works on all different levels of lies. He works on all different levels of manipulation, and he doesn't care as long as you get run over. It's not fair. Welcome to life, all right? So there's three things that we're going to see tonight. There's three things from verses 20, 21 through 23 that, that are critically important for us to remember. If we're going to make it through life not being fair, if we're going to survive and get to the other side and have some semblance of the integrity that Joseph has, we're going to have to see our circumstances the way Joseph did. We're going to have to see what's actually going on behind the scenes. It's not just... Every time I feel like everything's going great, then it's not going great again. God must not care. God must not be in it. God must be angry with me. All of the wrong perspectives, right? But those are the easy things to jump to, aren't they? So the first point on your sheet, it says, when life is not fair, what we see here is that God is still present. Right? God is still present, and we see that several times. Uh, before we get back into our passage from tonight, if we look in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. This is a promise from God to Joseph. Joseph's taking over as leader of Israel at this time. And God says, hey man, I was with Moses the entire time. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you too. I'm going to be by your side. I'm not going to fail you. Verse 9 of that same chapter, it says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. All right, so that's an, those are awesome promises. I love that chapter. The first chapter of Joshua is awesome. That transition in authority, and, and you know, Joshua's been a follower his whole life. He's been following Moses. He's been following the Lord, and God says, now it's time for you to lead. So Joshua is like, okay, well, clearly Joshua's a little bit intimidated because God says over and over and over, don't be afraid. I'm with you. 
I'm going to pave the way. All right, so that's great. That's the leader of Israel. What about me? Right? Jump to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It says, let, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with, su- with such things as ye have. For he hath said, this is God, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Not just Joshua's. That belongs to us too. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And then verse 8 of that same chapter, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Right? He's not changing. His promises haven't changed. His word hasn't changed. He doesn't change. We change. When circumstances get bad, we change. We struggle. We forget. We doubt. Right? That's, that's what happens. But when life is not fair, God is still very present. He's still here. So if we're looking in the passage from tonight, if we look in verse 21, it says that one of the ways that God showed himself to be present in Joseph's life is verse 21, he showed him mercy. Right? He, he cared enough to intervene. How did he show him mercy? You know, in the, in the system he was in, verse 20 says that Potiphar put him in jail. It says three different ways. He put him in jail where the king's prisoners are, and there he was in jail. Okay, great, why'd you repeat that? Because he's not dead. God showed him mercy. He intervened. He should have been a dead man. Genesis 19, 19, the first time we see this word mercy, says, Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. This is Lot, who vexed his righteous soul by putting himself in a situation, in, in a city that was so horrendous and so full of sin and, and just, it was such a horrible place that God physically wiped it from the map. He destroyed it. And Lot says, God, through his grace, showed me mercy. He didn't allow me the punishment that I deserved. He, he stepped in on my behalf. That's one way that God shows that he's present. Have you ever felt God's mercy? Right? Man, we, we should recognize that every new breath, every morning, we're probably experiencing some mercy. At least, at least I am. The second thing is that it says that he gave him favor. He gave him favor in the sight or in the eyes of someone else. In verse 21. This, uh, this word favor, it, it, it's basically very similar to the word grace. The first time we see grace in Scripture is Genesis 6-8 when it's talking about Noah. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So what is, what is grace? Is grace the removal of all your problems? That, that God's grace promised that, man, if you accept me as Lord and Savior, I'll just, I'll just make it easy. That, that's, that's not grace, Right? Was it easy for Noah to build an ark and be one of the few survivors and start over? No, grace, grace is the ability to make it through alive. God's going to give you the strength to get through. He's going to be there. He's going to provide the grace to keep you moving forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul. 
And Paul says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, right? I I don't want to get prideful. God's given me a position like nobody else. Lest I be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me, right? there's, There's some sort of physical ailment that Paul has, some physical difficulty he has, and he's asked the Lord three times. Paul, who has the gift of healing, he's asked the Lord, can you, can you get rid of this thing, and it's not going away. And he said, this, if you've got a red letter Bible, this is, this is in red, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. See, what that grace is, you only can reach so far, but the standard is so much further. Grace reaches the rest of the way. Right? God's grace gets you where you need to go because you can't get there on your own. He made up the difference. His grace made up the difference for Noah. Noah wasn't going to survive. God's grace intervened. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if we look several times in Scripture, mercy and grace and mercy and favor go hand in hand. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when life's not fair, where are you going to go for help? Another place that we see favor and mercy together is, is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 10. The sons of the strangers, or of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, or destroyed thee. But in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Isn't it awesome when God shows favor your way, shows grace to you to get you through something, shows mercy to you, and you don't have to feel the full weight of your consequences. The second thing that we need to see that that Joseph was seeing, when life's not fair, God is still providing. So thank the Lord that when life's not fair, God's still there. He's still present. And while he's still there, he's still providing, even though you may have suffered loss. Right? You may have less than what you had before, but he's still providing. So often what we see is, is something associated with man's hands or men's hands. And so what we see here is, is some things that were committed to Joseph's hand. God's providing opportunities for Joseph. Uh, the first time we see or one of the early times we see this is in Genesis chapter 9. Again with Noah, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Right? Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as a green herb have I given you all things but flesh with the life thereof which is the blood thereof, shall, not, shall ye not eat. 
And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed for the image of God. Or in the Im- image of God made he man. So what, what, the reason I'm, we're looking at this, because it says hand, in hand, in hand, in hand, it's, it's all tied to who is responsible. Right? Just because life is falling apart does not mean that God has removed all responsibility from your life. He's still going to provide what you are responsible to do in response to life. Right? He's still present. And he's still providing for Joseph opportunities and responsibility because why? Because he has favor in the sight of the jailkeeper. The rest of the world is watching. How, how is the jailkeeper going to see Joseph if Joseph is complaining about God letting him down again? Right? The jailkeeper's watching, and, and Joseph has found favor in his eyes because God has provided that. Because Joseph's sticking to his integrity. Right? It says in verse 22 that he, he committed to Joseph's hand. Joseph was receiving responsibility under his hand. And he was the doer of it in verse 22. All right, so it, it kind of looks like, you know, we're, we're, you know, just saying, you know, just do what's right, stick with it. God's going to make everything all right. It's just going to all get wiped away. It's gonna, look, he's, he's the top prisoner now, <laughs> right? He, he went from being a slave to, to being in charge of a bunch of stuff to being a prisoner. Now he's, he's the fastest in the slow class. Right? Congratulations, Joseph. Life is wonderful, man. But, but what's going on? God is still there. And God is still providing responsibilities. God is still providing opportunities for Joseph to respond. Right? And, and Joseph absolutely responds. Says that he was the doer of it. Everything that was done with those prisoners, this is just like what happened with Potiphar. Remember, Potiphar didn't even know what how much stuff he had. The only thing he knew was the food that crossed his plate. Right right under his nose. It was the only thing he knew of. The, the jailkeeper had no idea what was going on because he was able to just let Joseph go because Joseph proved he was trustworthy. He was the doer of it. And this reminds me of James chapter 1. Some responsibilities that we have. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway, right away, forgetteth what manner of man he was. See, when you come to God's word, he says, you're, you're like a guy looking in the mirror. And when you come to God's word and he shows you what you actually look like and he says, I approve or I disapprove of that and I want to clean you up, but you walk away and forget what you saw. You forgot your hair was all nasty on the one side and you didn't fix it. And I I didn't shave, so I forgot that. I'm a little scruffy tonight, right? If you walk and look at the mirror, what's the point in looking in the mirror if you're not going to do anything about it? If you're not going to take what you saw and act upon what you saw and what God showed you and and respond and do it. If you're not going to be a doer, well, I'm not going to put anything into your hand. 
not going to give you any responsibilities. I'm not going to provide for you in the midst of those things. One of the most incredible things that God has placed into all of our hands, good circumstances or bad, is his word. God, who created everything we see around us, or the people who created all the rest of the stuff, right? He gave us the minds to be able to, to be creators in his image. He created everything, and he wants to communicate with you. And he wants to talk to you, and he wants to talk to me. And he gave us a book in order to do it. And we sometimes open it up, and sometimes we open it up and, and we forget what we read, and sometimes he, he showed us something ugly in our lives and we just didn't want to admit it. And we walked away and forgot what he showed us. We have an incredible responsibility in our hands holding the revelation of the God of the universe. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, one of the innumerable passages about what we can do with God's word Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You can clean your life from the inside out simply by reading, agreeing with, and obeying what God said. It's, it's words on a page. It's like magic, y'all. I, he, just, he gave us a book. The, God, the creator of the universe gave us a book with words on a page that we can just read and believe, and follow, and life gets better regardless of the circumstances around us. He didn't say, read this book and all your, you know, vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true, right? (laughs) Believe in Jesus and all your wildest, no, no, that's not it. It's believe in Jesus, believe this word that I've left you, and you'll make it through. Because I will provide grace and I will provide mercy and I will be right there with you. And I will hand you responsibilities and everybody around you is going to see it. And they need me, but they need you to show them. He's still providing, isn't he? He's providing for Joseph. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the spiritual warfare that we're in. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God is all directly tied to the word of God. You don't put on the armor without the word. The breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. Where do we learn about righteousness? God's word. How do we know what is right and what is wrong? God told us. Right? The helmet of salvation, where do we find out about that? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All of it is the word of God. He's also placed into our hands people. Into your lives, you have people in your life. What are you doing with the people that God has placed into your influence? We're going to see in the coming weeks what, what Joseph did with the people in his path. Right? God gives you some people to build you up. He gives you other people's, people's gives you other people that he wants you to build up and a whole lot more that don't even know who he is, that need to know, right? God has placed the knowledge of the gospel and our precious Savior in our hands, along with people that need to hear it. 
what, are we going to be doers of the word? Are we going to just hear it ourselves? We're just going to be the ones that benefit and, and let everybody else go unknowing. The third thing that we need to see when, when life's not fair, so we know God is still present, God is still providing. The third thing is that God is still powerful. Right? He has not changed. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still all-powerful. And the, the, the last verse, it says there at the end, the Lord made it to prosper. Right? Joseph didn't do anything special. Joseph didn't have any power of his own. Joseph responded the right way. And God came in and made it to prosper. Genesis 39, verse 3, earlier in the same chapter, this was what we saw with Potiphar. Why was Potiphar so impressed with Joseph? Excuse me. Because he was his dad's favorite? Man, I was, I've been looking for a daddy's boy to come on in here and, and run things. This, this is perfect. You know? And you came at a bargain. I mean, no. He was impressed because his master saw that the Lord was with him. Why did, the, why did he see that? How did he see that? The Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Everything was placed into Joseph's hand. It just worked out well. And Joseph was wise enough to give credit where credit was due. Oh, God did that. Deuteronomy 29.9 says, Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. You see, God connects prosperity with obedience. God connects prosperity with obedience. God stuck Joseph, or stuck with Joseph because Joseph stuck with God. We've seen that a couple of weeks ago, right? The reason Joseph was blessed was because Joseph stuck with what God said. We see in the New Testament that Jesus equates obedience with love, right? So prosperity is connected to obedience. Obedience is connected to love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, do what? Buy me nice things. No, God, Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments and you'll prosper. Now this is, this is no prosperity gospel. Remember again, Joseph's fastest in this low class. He's, he's top prisoner. <laughs> yes, what an achievement. Right, that's, that's what we're all shooting for, but but God has provided. Another verse in Joshua chapter one says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do all according to the, all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. Why? That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. God is not interested in you just keeping all the rules. He's interested in you showing him that you love him by walking with him. He's walking one way. If you turn to the right or you turn to the left, you're not walking with him anymore. It's not about just jumping through hoops and keeping rules and making sure that everybody else thinks that you're a perfect Christian. Don't turn to the right or the left because I'm going this way. You coming with me, son? You coming with me, daughter? God is on the move. He's not turning. He's heading somewhere. And if if we turn away, we can't prosper. 
We want to move where he's moving. We want to be where he's at. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. This is a prophecy of Christ, right? He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did you catch that? God puts responsibilities in our hands, but we are in his. That's pretty awesome. That, that's pretty incredible. Jesus Christ became an offering to cover our sins, to remove them. By accepting the price that Jesus paid on the cross for you, for me, by choosing to believe that he alone paid for your sins, and making him a Lord, he, he's placed you in his hand. He's placed responsibility into ours. He's placed us into his. In John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. What an awesome promise. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, once we're in his hands, nobody's taken us out. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my, hand, my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We prosper because he's with us. We prosper because he has a hold of us, and no one can take us away. Only our own choices when we turn to the right or turn to the left, right? We prosper when we stick close to the shepherd so he can guide us and protect us. You can't really get a more meaningful prosperity than that. Because all of the riches in the world that, that some people are selling you or selling people, you know, come to Jesus and, and he'll make this happen and he'll give you fame and he'll give you fortune and man, it's nonsense because all of that stuff burns up. None of that stuff matters. The real riches is the fact that he's not going to leave your side and he's got you in his hands and nobody else can touch you. There are things that they cannot take from you. They can take a lot of things and life can take some terrible turns but they can't take him. He's got you. Some of this maybe just sounds to you like, well, <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just the positive attitude gospel right there. You know, just put a silver lining on it and have the right, pr you know, perspective and you'll be all right. It, it's more than that, isn't it? Because that, you'll be all right for a couple of days and then life will beat you up again and you'll forget right? We definitely need to adjust our perspective. Joseph could have used that exact excuse. Every time it gets better, it gets worse. <laughs> Why does it keep getting worse? God must not care. That's the flesh. That's a lie. Right? It's not about having a good attitude. It's not about putting a silver lining on all your dark clouds. It's about faith. It's about do you believe what God said is true more than what your flesh feels is true? 
Do you believe what God said is true over what this world says is true of God? It's about believing the promises of God over your own mind, over your own feelings. I was, I was an engineer for 17 years. It was actually my job to put gray clouds in, inside of people's silver linings and, and you know give them a rainy day. Because they would come to me with awesome ideas that were gonna revolutionize the industry. And, and then I took that gray cloud and said, that's a terrible idea. Because it's expensive, because it's dangerous. Somebody's gonna get hurt. Somebody, you know. I, I, would, I would approach most of my projects like, okay, if I can eliminate all of the problems, whatever's left ought to be good, <laughs> right? You, can't, you don't get a whole lot done if that's your, your entire approach. But, but I was the gray cloud guy, right? But if you did eliminate most of what was wrong with an idea and there were still good things left, chances are good. You got a good idea left, right? So I, I know all about pessimism, right? I was a professional pessimist. I got paid to do that. I said it when we started tonight, life's not fair. And the sooner we come to grips with that fact, the sooner we can start looking at things the way they actually are. The sooner we can stop worrying about what's not working out well, the sooner we can see that God is still present, even though things aren't working out well. And we can see that because he's still present, he's still providing. And he's providing opportunities and people are watching. And he holds the power. So we gotta stick close. What Joseph had perspective on was what we saw back in Genesis 37. Verses five through 11, we'll finish up here real quick. Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you the dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. His brothers envied him, they were jealous of him, his father observed the saying because they recognized that Joseph just got a message from God. They were upset because there's no way I'm bowing down to that punk. (laughs) There's no way that's going to happen, but God said it was going to happen. So what was Joseph hanging on to every time life turned south? God made a promise, didn't he? Does Joseph go and just believe the circumstances? Because the circumstances are saying, hey man, God has forgotten you. He made you a promise. Sure, he made you a promise. But he forgot. Because there's no way you would go through all of this if God still cared. There's no way you would suffer this way if God remembered. 
And Joseph said, man, God's got it figured out somehow because God made a promise. Romans chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Joseph knew what God had promised to be true of him. Right? It hadn't come true yet, but God promised it. I'm, I'm sure Joseph struggled. <laughs> I don't know how you go through life and not struggle when bad things happen. That's part of it. But a, what apparently won out was Joseph understood Paul's principle and said, well, let God be true, and every man, this man right here included, specifically, first and foremost, let this man be a liar because my flesh is going to lie to me. And it's going to tell me that God doesn't care, and it's going to tell me it's better, I just might as well give in. Life's going to be hard anyway, I might as well just live for the moment. But God promised. We'll finish with Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. This is an incredible passage. This is about Abraham and Sarah, who against hope believed in hope. They were in a hopeless situation, but God made a promise that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own, his own body now dead. He was too old to have children. But God promised children. We're in an impossible situation. And when he was about 100 year, years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also, or is able also to perform. So, so wait a minute, God, you're telling me, you're making me a promise, but this situation, there are no details on, in this situation that are even humanly possible. Science, proven science, says it can't be done. But God made a promise. So here's the question. We'll finish with this question. What does it take for you to stagger under the weight of this world against God's promises? What does it take for this world to throw at you that gets you to stagger at God's promises? And we all do it. I think that's an important question to, to talk to the Lord about. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you that Titus tells us that you are a God who made promises and you're also a God who cannot lie. So if it wasn't a promise you, if it's a promise you could not uphold, you wouldn't have said it. But you've got all kinds of promises that, that you're not gonna forsake us. You're gonna be with us. You're gonna provide And you're going to prosper, so we need to stick with you. Lord, I pray that you help us when life takes a turn to remember that you're there. You're always there. And and the circumstances, man, we never want bad circumstances. We never want anything unfavorable, but but it happens. I'm I'm so glad that you're there with me. 
I'm so glad that I can count on you every single time, even when I fail. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that uh, these things would be not, not just simple things that we already know, but, but things we put into action, uh, especially when, when life gets hard. We love you so much. We pray that this last song would be uh, pleasing to your ears. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.